I think your ethos might always say, but some of the values even for me have changed. Just as I've gone, you know, from caring about building businesses to more giving back. So some of my words have changed. It seems very easy, but when you put yourself in that situation and you have, you know, influenced by peers and others, the decisions are not always as easy as you might think as an outsider. It's time once again to learn from the past and explore the future. Welcome to the Leadership Frontiers podcast with your hosts, Tara O'Brien and myself, Ron Duren Jr. In compelling discussions, we'll dig deep into leadership topics within business, education, nonprofits, the public sector, social justice, and wherever we may find it. This is brought to you by the University of Colorado Boulder's Center for Leadership. Thank you for joining us. Christy Orris is an active investor and entrepreneur through Peak to Peak Investments. She and her husband, Jay, launched Peak to Peak Leadership to empower the next generation of value-based leaders. From 2001 to 2011, Orris was CEO of a company that she sold later and has since sold other companies as well. She is active in the University of Colorado Boulder, serving on the Center for Leadership and Leeds School of Business Advisory Board. She brings value-based leadership programs to 600 or more CU students annually. And from 2008 to 2011, she chaired the board of the Leeds School of Business and later transitioned onto the Dean's CEO cabinet. And if there could be any more to that, she was also awarded one of Boulder's 40 under 40 awards. So today we talk about leadership, finding your core values no matter what age you are, slowing down and switching gears from building to giving back. Christy, let's dive right in and talk about Peak to Peak Leadership, the company here in Colorado that you and your husband, Jay, founded, and obviously you're running presently. Um, because when I go, literally, when I go to the homepage on the website, I I love what I see immediately. Um, right up front, I read the words, we foster an environment where individuals explore their core values and examine how those values influence their leadership decisions. I love that. Can, can we go right into how you started this company? Why, why, what were you and Jay trying to create here? Yeah, thank you, Tara. Well, first off, Peak to Peak Leadership, it's a nonprofit. So it's all about giving back and trying to cultivate tomorrow's leaders. And it came about because of a fellowship I did at the Aspen Institute back in 2007. They have a class every year of 20 people. It's called the Henry Crown Fellowship. And over those, over two years, we spend four weeks together in deep dialogue about things that really matter most in the world. And at least for me, I never really had that kind of background. I was not a philosophy major. I was a business major. And I had never had this kind of deep discussions that really helped me go into understanding who I was as a person, who I wanted to be as a person, mm. um, what my values were, and then how I wanted to show up in the world as a leader. And you know these the groups. I always felt I was not worthy to be in the group, right? Everyone was has done these amazing things, and they take people who are very successful, and but they say, okay, so what? So what? You built Netflix. Oh, big, you know, what are you gonna do now? What are you gonna do about it? What um, what what dent are you gonna make in the world? And so, 
that was just a transformational time in my life. And it was a two-year fellowship, but then it continued on with what they call the Action Forum at Aspen, which a bunch of fellowships blossomed out of the Henry Crown Fellowship. And so there's fellowships around the world who are really trying to cultivate really significant leaders, leaders that are going to make a difference, not just make a lot of money and, and build cool, successful businesses, but are going to make our world better. So I went to that program and then I had my, my opportunity. My husband, Jay, was able to go to the Aspen Seminar, which is a seminar Aspen's had since the 1960s, uh, which is open to the public. So I would encourage anyone who could go to go. And he, he went to that week and it really changed his life. It made him kind of look at, go, well, what am I doing? And why am I, you know, is what I'm doing in my job is it really making a difference in the world? And so it changed his course of where he was going. And it made us ponder, how do we bring this whole kind of concept of ethical-based leadership to the younger generation? So I will um, attribute it to my husband, who at first decided to start our program at Boulder Country Day, where our kids were there in middle school. We have two boys. And so we, we laid out a program for the sixth, seventh, and eighth graders to go through um, these discussions every year. And believe it or not, they can do they can read about Aristotle and Plato and really deep text. But that was that was our catalyst for saying, God, this is really great. Let's take it somewhere. From there, um, we decided to bring it to the CU Leeds School of Business. I'm an alumni there, um, and I was on the board and I chaired the board for a while and really involved with the school. And I'm always trying to bring together some of my passions and things I care about. So it was a way it was a way for me to bring the passion I um, had from the Aspen Institute, along with what we were doing at CU. And so we piloted the program there with the lead scholars um, and we've grown it really every year since. And I think we're reaching at least 600 people this year, maybe up to 800 um, at the business school, at our middle school, and now we're doing it at Dawson High School, as well as some of the YMCA here in Boulder. I'm so curious what you're finding when you're bringing these topics into the university students, because Ron, I mean, you and I both know we keep having this concept of core values surface uh, week after week, whether it's in our classrooms or, you know, Ron and I do another podcast called Forging Metal and that the core values keeps coming up. I have friends in the community that are like, Tara, I need to figure out what my core values are. How does that topic uh, really turn out when you bring it into like uh, the school of business at Leeds? Well, we do it in a couple of different ways, first of all. So one, one is we actually do a values-based exercise um, where we use different, a different kind of cards and methodology for people to help hone in what do they really care about. And the result of that exercise is they write their value statement. And we talk about how, you know, how do you use that when you're trying to figure out what job you want to take, what significant other you want to be with, um, Almost everything in your life, you every over decision you make is reflective of your values. It doesn't matter if you're choosing if you want to go to the local coffee shop or Starbucks or which grocery store you go to. Um, they all come back to your values. So we start with that exercise, but we use readings and different um, dialogues that are part of the main part of the program. And how we use how we use the text. First of all, we use we use readings that are both modern. It could be a TED talk all the way back to the Plato and Aristotle. Uh, and we use those as a catalyst for discussion to go deep. And the text is a reading that we can all at least first agree upon what the author says. 
we don't have to agree what the author means. So the, cat, the text is a springboard for us to go into deeper discussions about, do we agree or not with that? What comes up for us? What kind of society would we want to live in? And, you know, and then at the very kind of end of a text, we usually say, you know, we hold up the mirror to ourselves. So we kind of look at it and go, what does this say about me? And how, how does this make me relook at what I value? Um, or what, what, I, what would I have done if I was in that situation? I think it's really, really hard to teach values or teach leadership. But if you can have it be more experimental and people are going on their own journey and then they're picking up, they're coming to their own conclusions, it shapes who they are. Oh, I like that so much. Let me let me go back for a minute though. I wanna I wanna point this out for for just in case we missed this subtle little clue that Christy had. Notice that she's in a she's in a room with all of these successful people and felt like I don't belong here. Let me tell you, Christy's got a heck of a background. And to hear you say that, you know, Tara and I are always saying, hey, you know, we all feel this. We all feel this, whatever you want to call it, this imposter syndrome. So it was kind of interesting to me to hear you say that earlier in the podcast. Um, you know, core values is something I teach my students as well. We actually do something called a, a personal ethos assignment, which is is very much sounds like what, what you're doing here. When you when you introduce this concept to them, how many people have a good idea what their core values are? Not many. Some think they do. Um, but as you go through the exercise, um, it's hard. It's it's hard. And I think your core I think your ethos might always say, but some of the values even for me have changed over mm -hmm. my lifetime. Just as I've gone, you know, from caring about building businesses to more giving back. So some of my words have changed. And, it, and then the texts that we choose, a lot of them are very, I would say gray. Like there's not a black and white answer. It's not like, oh, of course I should go and I would do this. Like we do Orwell's shooting an elephant. You know, do you kill the elephant? Don't you kill the elephant? It seems very easy. But when you put yourself in that situation and you have, you know, influenced by peers and others, the decisions are not always as easy as you might think as an outsider. So we try to put people in a situation where they're, they're faced with different great challenges. And all, all of us will you know, obviously um, usually respond differently to them. So there's not a right answer. And we're not ever trying to lead someone to an answer or tell them what they should, should be their values. Um, they need to find it themselves. And, and I think that's the, the challenge and the beauty of leadership, right? It's all... Uh, dare I say all it's all a gray area it's all nuance and and you know sometimes people ask me what's what's the right answer or what's the five-step process to be a great leader and I say there is none it's different right. for everybody so I, I appreciate what you're saying about that as, as far as you got to figure it out you know and, and, I, and I think you're saying that, that our values can help guide us to what that maybe what that right answer is for us is, is that kind of what I'm hearing yes I think the more you know yourself, the more you know your inner, your moral compass, the more it'll guide you uh, on, on decisions we're making in our day-to-day -day life. I'm just so curious, uh, you know, you've been a CEO for so many years of your life and successfully sold at least two companies that I know of, maybe more. <laughs> um, uh, and I know that Peak to Peak works with organizations and I'm assuming potentially even smaller startups or small businesses, but you also spend a lot of, you put a lot of focus on uh, young adults and children. 
um, all the way down to middle school and maybe younger. Uh, why? Why did you and Jay say, you know what, we've had all of this corporate and um, business experience. Let's start with the young kids. What pushed you to that? Well, first, you know, Aspen Institute caters more, at least historically has catered more to older, you know, even you're an adult. Like, I don't think I could have gotten the Henry Crown Fellowship. I mean, probably at least till you're 35, right? And so, but by then I kind of feel like we're kind of baked. Yeah. You know, we've already had all these life experiences and then they're asking you to learn more and change. And, you know, and that does happen. I, I have changed because of that. But I always figure, what if you've got people even earlier? Why not? Why not get people when their minds are forming and you're really trying to figure out who you want to be, what first job you want to have? It just, it just seemed like that was even a better place to, to reach people. And so, and again, we don't want to compete with Aspen Institute whatsoever. They're our inspiration. And we just really went after, after an area that they weren't focused on. I think they're doing more that way now, which I'm really happy that they are. Um, but I mean, God, I'm just kind of thinking about what if around the, you know, at least the US, if not the world, you had more of these discussions taking place and mm -hmm. taking place at all different ages of your life. So we really wanted to start younger. And part of it, again, I said, it's, it goes into some of the connections we have. I'm very much a person who likes to connect um, people and things I care about. And so, again, our kids were at Boulder Country Day. Our kids are at Dawson now at high school. Um, I went to see you. And um, you know, we've brought, we've even brought this like just semester at sea, which I think we'll talk about in a little bit, but that's another program my family's been on a lot. And so we do um, these programs when we sail on the ship, as well as my husband leads um, from the programs when he, um, with alumni from that program. This is fascinating to me. And I've thought about this as well is, is we could reach young people. I mean, they got more neuro neuroplasticity at that point. And so we can form those brains much better when they're when they're younger but I, but i've had a student ask me do you think we need a certain amount of life experience before we can we can kind of you know put these lessons to to use so i mean what what is your 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 experience with the effectiveness of of reaching these younger students with these i don't know these these leadership lessons they surprise me all the time ron when I first started working with students, and I said, we've worked with ones as, even as young as maybe eight, like on the semester at Sea Voyages. So as young as that young. And a lot of times the students, they, uh, they come back with really deep thoughts and concerns and ideas that I feel are as equal, if not better than a lot of the adults. So when we first started doing this with the lead scholars at CU, they would always go, how do we compare? How do we compare? And I'm like, you guys, you guys are amazing. You are. Um, we have, I make, it's given me so much um, belief that the, the upcoming generations are, are going are gonna to do well um, to, to uh, the planet, all the things that we might have messed up before them. They, um, they get it. And I feel like we're going to be in good hands. It's funny you say that because I actually would have thought um, to ask you, what do you think is missing uh, for our young leaders going out into the world, but it might even be what support is missing for them. Where could we do better or what holes or gaps or even better yet, big challenges do you think our, our young people getting ready to graduate even this sem upcoming semester this spring? Uh, what, are they, what are some of the big challenges in leadership uh, and, and diving into the workforce, do you think? I think one big challenge is, uh, is a matter of role models, mm. you know, 
what kind of who are the leaders that are in the news most you know they're the ones that are the loudest they're you know mm-hmm. they get all the attention a lot of it's me 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 and i don't think that is the best leaders that we that we need in the world so to me it's you know who are they trying to emulate that's why i think the more we can mentor students mentor young um, adults and who are early in the workplace um, the more we can give them the places or ways to convene, you know, whether it's around these kind of discussions or in you know, more, more forum type of groups where they have peers and support. Um, I think that's what, I think that's what this generation needs. They've got the, they've got the drive, they have the passion, they've got the smarts. Um, I don't think they just don't all know where they're going. Do you have any of these worries for your own kids? Cause your own kids are getting ready to go off to college, aren't they? Yeah, I have the concerns for them, but I also feel that they're grounded. And I, I try not to put too much pressure on them. They don't have to know where, where they're going yet um, and what they're going to do. But I think they're going to be good citizens of the world. And, you know, part of that is why we've taken our kids on this study abroad program called Semester at Sea so many different times uh, because we wanted them to be citizens of the world and wanted them to see life outside of our bubble here in Boulder in the United States. You just led right into, you know, the thing that I've been wanting to talk about. You know, you talk about international travel and this this thing called a semester at sea, which I was just like, I would I would so love to do that. So what, you know, I like to I like to counsel my students uh, that they should get some international travel and what is the value to that do you do you see? Why do you do that with your family? Well, I, I think the more we see the world, the more we can understand ourselves and understand what's going on um, and, and how we can impact those around us. So um, yeah, I'm just coming off, last night I moderated um, a session for the fresh, some freshmen who were, were, they were supposed to go to Japan this year. Hopefully they're gonna go next year because of the you know, pandemic that got pushed back. Um, but it was really around the challenge of global leadership. And it was just a, a lot of it had to do with how are we, everyone is so different um, by our cultures, by how we're raised. How do we, you know, often we, we judge people that are different than us. And so our whole discussion last night was about how can you, how can you be curious and learn about other cultures um, by still, but still you, you can't, you can judge positively and negatively. Of where of what they do and and then but then turn it back on yourself and then us here in the United States. What do we do that is a positive or a negative value we have or a culture that we have? And so the more we learn about that, and you know, these students at Leeds, they're they're actually doing presentations, I think tonight and tomorrow, they, they've teamed with a Japanese university. And so they were working together on on these pitches. And you know, how, how are you gonna understand what the Japanese culture is unless you start working together? So it's, it's good over Zoom. It's even better when you go there in person and you're there face-to-face with students from different countries, different backgrounds. Um, yeah. And then Ron, to your point, particularly about semester at sea. So I went on semester at sea back when I was a student at CU. I went when I was a junior back in 1990. And I always say it was the best hundred days of my life. You know, we traveled around the whole globe on a ship with 500 students and we studied on the ship about what we were gonna be learning in different countries. And then you got off and you submerged yourself in those cultures um, 
of um, so vastly different than what we had been had been experiencing before. And so I loved it. And I told my husband, you know, anyway, so this is the best hundred days of my life. And he's he always says, but you didn't know me. How can that be the best hundred days? And so <laughs> I said, I said, well, you know what? Why don't we go as a family? So the whole kind of banter back and forth led us to go, you know what? Why don't we take our kids? And so semester at sea historically did not take, you know, on kids that were not college age except the faculty and staff. So like you two could go and teach on the ship and bring your kids. So I reached out to them and they were very open and said, well, I don't know why you couldn't come and bring your kids. So we started when they were five and six. So when they were five and six is the first time they traveled around the world. And we've really done it every three years since. So we've gone four times as a family. The last time, you know, my oldest son was old enough to take college courses. So he has college credit from that experience. Um, and it's really just shaped how we look and feel about the world. And I think it'll really shape how my, what trajectory my kids go and what they end up doing. I'm so envious right now. I just want to so point that I. out. So like I. literally almost four months out at sea with your entire family. And it's amazing you've been doing it for so long. And it kind of helped because a lot of my friends were like, oh, my kids would never leave, you know, their friends in high school. For us, we just started when they were young and it was just part of being in our family. This is what we do. You know, you did a, um, an interview, uh, a really great interview. I had the opportunity to watch just recently uh, with David Brooks um, not too long ago. And uh, you and you and I and Ron have talked offline a little bit about how you're really trying to emulate some of his concepts going into the second half of your life, changing things up. I really would love for you to talk about that a little bit and what it means to you and kind of what your your goals are and you're hoping to get out of it. Well, first off, so David Brooks, um, he wrote a book recently, his most recent is called The Second Mountain. And it was really an introspective journey for him of how his first half of his life was focused on really the ego, right? Building a big career, making money, all what other people think of you. But more, it's me, 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 me. And then he talks about going into a valley um, of his life, bad time of life, getting divorced, um, feeling lonely and then trying to come up to the second mountain, which is really more focused on others, um, about giving back, uh, more community. And for David, he started a, a group called Weave, which is really weaving together community builders. And so that is, you know, the book is really about his journey. And so I started working with David on, uh, with Weave a few years back. And when I learned about his, this journey and what he was doing, it really, really resonated with me because I feel like I have been living in that first mountain for the you know, earlier part of my life. I was a builder, right? I built companies, I built my family, I built houses. I, I, it was more kind of more and more, you know, make money, you know, have the prestige, the power. Um, it, you know, and, and it was all supported by what society was saying too, right? My parents, everything else, I got kudos, it's like, it, it, uh, it really fed my ego and it was, it was great. But like I, I was on top of that mountain. I, I have luckily haven't gone through the deep valley that David has gone through, but I think really conceptually, and maybe it started with the Aspen Institute and my fellowship there. It was more looking towards where do I really want to go? And, you know, on my deathbed and someone's reading my eulogy, what are they going to say? Are they going to talk about, oh yeah, Christy, you know, made this money and had all these great businesses. I'm not going to, I'm not going to care that they say that. I want them to talk about me being a wonderful wife, 
um, a wonderful mother, a great daughter and sister, friend, one who really gave back and encouraged others and took um, what she had and all the abundance you know, that I have in my life and shared that. So um, you know, I turned 50 this year. So maybe that's also this whole monumental one foot in one side and one foot kind of going on the other. Um, I'm really trying to spend my time focused more on giving back and fulfilling my heart and my soul, um, thinking more with, with the heart versus, versus and less with the mind. Um, I'm trying to quiet that mind because my mind's been very active my whole life. And uh, I think doing other things in different focuses are gonna serve me better. I will also say, I think COVID has been an interesting time for me. It was, you know, and it's so hard for so many people around the world. For me, it was actually this wonderful time of, of getting grounded. I was about to buy another medical device company. We had all the contracts done. This was like beginning of March. It was like all of a sudden COVID hit, everything, everything's creamed to a stop. Um, that deal did not go through and thank goodness. Um, so I also sold another company right at the beginning of March and I was really realizing, okay, I can shed that part of me. I'm not gonna run companies anymore. I'm gonna focus my time somewhere else. And so I was able to let go of businesses. Um, I was also had the gift that my mother was, was sick during COVID, not with COVID, but she was sick with Alzheimer's. I was able to care for her and bring her in our home. Um, my sister and I kind of traded off and we had her in our home for three months uh, before she passed. And it was just so beautiful. It was so, such a blessing. If we hadn't had COVID, she would have been in a retirement community. We would have seen her, but our whole family got to spend time with her. And so again, that just, um, it was more like kind of, that's what life's about. And I think before I was like too busy and go, go, go to stop and actually be a caregiver and to slow down. So for me, it has been a positive, a positive time. What a powerful message. You know, there are good things that are coming out of COVID. Uh, you know, it's not for everybody, but, but I, I love it when I hear those, those messages. What is your, what is your answer to, you know, of course, Tara and I work with young folks that have not found their way in the world yet. And they're, you know, they're, they're looking to be successful and maybe make a lot of money like you have. And so a message from you that you've already found your success, you've made your money, and now you're saying, I want to give back. Do you think that message gets lost on people that are just starting out their journey saying, hey, Christy's already done this. And, and so I don't know if I can take her advice. Can we have both? I guess is that, you know, can we can we make our, our money and be successful and also give back? Ron, I think I think we can. Um, I, I think the question is just how how do you do it in the timing? Um, of it. And I, I can't tell you that I have done it all right. I was, I was really focused all like all in on building my companies in the beginning. Um, it was a crazy time. I had two children under the age of two. And it was real about a month after my second child was born that I took on my dad's companies. I had two companies. I took his five on. So also I had seven companies. That was really hard. I don't think I'd recommend anyone do that. <laughs> I, I would have recommended like Maybe you should space it out a little more. Maybe give another year after your child. I did it. I just did it all at once. Um, and like, you know, looking back, it was great because I got through it. I sold my companies where we've been traveling. And, but it doesn't always work that way for everyone. So my view is how can, how can you weave together um, things that really matter in your life? And I feel like the students these days, she might get it more than, than we did. Um, they're looking for jobs that they're really passionate about. They really care about they can give back 
while they make their money. I mean, I think the big companies of tomorrow are going to be these companies that are really doing great things for our world. So I think the option is out there to do both. And so um, I kind of wish I had those options back there. I don't, maybe I wasn't even aware of that. But there's a lot of companies now that are really doing good. And, I, you know, I talked a little bit, um, Ron, offline with you just about impact investing. That's another good example that there are so many ways, I think, to be an investor and to get great returns by supporting amazing businesses that are um, improving our planet and our, and our lives. So I don't think it has to be an either or, it can be an and. And I think maybe today's youth get that better. Maybe we can learn from them. I think you're right, actually. I, I can see it as well. Um, and it's, I, I don't remember myself or my peers being that way um, back in our day of college either. So it's a good thing to see. I'll piggyback on, on Ron's question and add to it. What, in everything you just said, what advice would you give now that you're hitting this um, second mountain of life, you've had the successes. It sounds like with seven companies, you had a lot of stresses too. <laughs> uh, what advice would you give to your younger 20, 23 year old self? I think I would just tell myself to take a deep breath and, and maybe go a little slower. I think I made a lot of really great decisions when I was younger. Moving to Boulder was one of them. Choosing to go to CU, uh, which is what really led me to Boulder was one of them. Choosing the right spouse was one of them. Um, but I just took on a lot. I think I probably wouldn't have taken on my dad's companies. I, I had two, I had um, my, because of my dad's businesses originally, I had a chance to go into to businesses. So I say I stood on the shoulders of great giants and had opportunities that most people wouldn't have because, you know, that door was open to me, especially being a female. Like most, most women don't go into manufacturing, but I think if I had to do it again, I probably would have focused on mine and let my dad keep running his. And, and you know, I, I probably, that's probably the one thing I would have, would have done differently was separate that. Instead, I think I brought too much of uh, family and business together, which is really hard. So I think that's one thing I would tell my younger self. Two is enough. In this modern society where it's go, 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 you know, it's never pause. It's never slow down. It's always go faster. How can we get more done in a day? You know, I see this with, with young people a lot. How can I be more productive? They come to me as a coach and they say, I want to be more productive. And I go, what for? You know, <laughs> let, let's talk about why do you want to be more productive? And so uh, that, that message is, it just kind of, I don't know, it, it permeates through society of go, 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 go faster, be more productive. So Boy, I really appreciate you saying, hey, maybe pause, maybe slow down. So um, for everybody listening, I hope that that I hope that sinks in because I think that's a it's a tough message to sell, especially to young folks right now. Yeah, Ron, I'll say, too, I think sometimes unless we do slow down, you know, Mother Nature has a way of making us slow down. So even, you know, the other story I didn't tell about COVID is I've, I've had health problems. And so that has really kind of slowed me down. Um, and it's made me slow down. And so I think if we don't, if we go too fast, um, we hit brick walls. And even back when I was, you know, take, took on the seven companies and was going, I had health, I ran into health issues then. Um, I couldn't sleep. I was even, you know, I was just bad anxiety and it was, um, I pushed myself too much and the body then says, Ooh, you can't, you know, you can't do it all. 
So it is a matter how, you know, how much can you push yourself, um, but be healthy about it. I mean, Ron, you, you push yourself athletically, right? You've done the Ironman and you've done Leadville 100 and I've done some of those too. And so some of those things is like, becomes wired in who we are, but it doesn't always serve us. Like how many more, how many more times do we have to go do that until our body says, yeah, maybe you could go on a recovery ride. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's an interesting thing. Stressors are, are good for us. Uh, if we can learn to, you know, let off the gas, uh, we got to yeah. make sure that we're not always on the accelerator. So I take on those things to challenge myself and stress myself, but you're exactly right. And we've had previous guests, not only on, on this podcast, but also our other podcasts where they've, they believe they got cancer because of stressing themselves. And so I, I completely agree with you. If you don't pay attention, your body will scream at you to pay attention. And, and hopefully it doesn't turn into, you know, something really bad, but, but it could. And so I appreciate that you say that because I think that's a message that gets lost with these younger folks that are, are being very ambitious and pushing themselves to a red line. And uh, eventually the body's going to say, Hey, I can't do this anymore. Let me ask you, uh, totally switching directions, but you're part of the Center for Leadership um, and, uh, and working there. Why, why? What are you, um, why are you a part of that group and what are, what are you trying to kind of achieve or what do you want to see happen while you're working with them? So I'm, I'm involved for many reasons. Um, one is because of the different leadership programs we've been working with on the campus. So um, with the Lead Scholars Program, um, the Dean's Leadership Fellows, we worked with some things with PLC. Um, and diverse scholars. And so um, we were connected into that community and we want to do more. So I would, you know, I, I want to reach any student that really wants to be in this type of program. I want to make it available to them. Um, secondly, I'm a big Aaron Roof fan. So Aaron runs the center and, um, and we're friends and I really just, I highly respect, I respect him and love all he's doing. And so Aaron asked and I of course said, yes. Um, and then just lastly, I would just say, I think I have a lot to offer. And uh, um, this experience we've done with leadership and, or whether it's bringing in speakers like David Brooks. And so I just wanted to be, I wanted to be part of that. And, and we're Aaron Roof fans as well. So I'm going to say, it's hard to say no to that guy. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>? yep, <laughs> <it is. laughs> um, how, so if, if uh, some of the people that are listening here today are like, oh, this is such a great topic. I want to know more than just, you know, 45 minutes worth. How can people follow you, get involved with you, um, help you um, learn from you? Where do they go for that? Well, so Peak to Peak Leadership, um, if you go onto our website, which is peak to peak Leadership dot org. Um, that is a great way to find out more what we're doing from our leadership st standpoint. Um, we're always looking first to, to number one, to expand the program to organizations that, that want it, um, mostly from a student, student led organizations. And number two, also moderators. Um, you know, we cultivate moderators, both, uh, you know, older, you know, business or successful moderators, um, but also we're starting to take from um, our, our student body. So those of those students who've gone through our programs for you know, four years or so, and we're training them. And so it's, to me, I love having a, a student as well as a way we call a senior moderator, however we want to call us as we get older. So um, feel free to reach out. And thank you for doing that. that. That's, you know, putting it out there. So let's, let's go right to our last question, Christy. And, you know, we, we like to look at the frontier of leadership. And, and so what is it that you see 
out there, either where are we going with leadership or where would you like to see us go with leadership? What, what's, on the, what's on the cutting edge? Where I hope we go, Ron, is that we see more examples of ethical leaders um, and that then we are cultivating our youth so they have the ethical ethos um, in their center and their core. They trust themselves to make the right decisions and to, to lead in a really ethical way in society. I think most people are that way, but for some reason, I think that we're getting, the spotlight is being shown on the people who make the most noise um, or the most flashy. But great leaders don't have to be flashy and noisy. Great leaders um, often, I think, lead from behind and build the right teams around them, motivate people to do great things. And so how do we have more um, leaders who really understand themselves and know how to motivate people towards the right goal. Thanks for spending your valuable time with us this week. If you enjoyed today's topics, please leave us a review. This will help us reach new listeners who can benefit from these conversations. We'll see you next time.